Good morning again, everyone. So glad to see you out this morning. And um, I'm again some, uh, th- some thoughts, some sermons, messages, meditations on uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, as I ease us into this, I want to preach from Matthew's gospel today. Um, think from 30,000 feet for just a moment as you look down at Easter, I mean at Christmas and, and Advent. Think about being a Jew in Palestine at about 10 B.C. Uh, You have been trained through various means to know that God made great promises to Abraham. And he renewed those promises to David and others throughout uh, the history of your nation. But here you are, you're occupied by the Romans... Uh, There's been no revelation from God for centuries, literally, 400 years approximately. So against this very dark backdrop, the brightness and the light of the coming of Jesus Christ are very significant. Uh, In the Old Testament, revelation from God and, and the advent was a great outpouring of revelation. Uh, one of the ways to, uh, matter of fact, uh, one of the ways, I'll just give you a little aside here, no extra cost on this, okay? So one of the ways to think about Easter, I mean Christmas, Christmas, golly, come on, Alan, uh, to think about Christmas in a fresh way is to read through the story and say, well, what about the songs that were sung? As there's the song of Zechariah and the Song of Mary and Simeon and Anna. Another way to think about it is to read through and think, well, what were the angels doing? What, but think about Christmas or Advent from the perspective of the angels. In the Old Testament, sometimes there'd been lots and lots of revelation all at once, and other times there'd been a lot of darkness when the sky seemed to be flint or iron and God was just not getting through or trying to come through or something. And so this first Christmas is just an outburst of revelation from God to his people where Gabriel comes to uh, Zechariah and Gabriel comes to Mary and and there's the multitude of the heavenly host praising God and singing in Luke 2. And and, um, so if you think it's somewhat routine for us, okay, it's another Christmas, it's another Advent, it's another uh, series of sermons on that. Yes, okay, maybe from our perspective, but from their perspective, it was a one-off sort of a thing that was startling, absolutely startling to them. And we need to seek to grasp that again. Now, one other thing before I read the Scripture, and I'll point this out, and Anna did not uh, ask me to say this, but it's a word about the old traditional Christmas carols, Okay. The wording in them is wonderfully accurate and precise about Jesus' advent. Uh, It's very theologically correct often. Uh, I'm going to allude and and actually use a phrase or three from several of the traditional Christmas carols this morning in the message, uh, hoping to entice you to look at them again. And, and, and see the theological depth and accuracy and importance of the things that we sing. Okay, let's pray, then we'll read this familiar passage in Matthew 1. Lord our God, come to us. 
uh, reveal yourself to us. Uh, rend the heavens and come down to us. And transform us that know you by your grace from one degree of glory to another. And Father, that those who know you not might by your grace come to know you and put their faith in you, trust you, have the genuine hope of eternal life. Use a crooked stick. We pray in faith to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Matthew 1 at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah, in this case. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade. This is God's word. It won't fade. It will abide forever and forever. I want us to think particularly about one thought in verse 22. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we're thinking about this theme, God with us, this morning. Now, the birth of a baby is usually a pretty exciting thing, even if it's relatively obscure. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, we had one son born in 1976 and another born in 1979. Uh, these were not hidden things. Uh, they were both in hospitals. They were both what you might call public but they were obscure to all of you, right? You never heard about it. It didn't make the front page of either one of the uh, Jackson, Mississippi newspapers in those days, nor did it make the newspapers here. Uh, it was very exciting for us and a few others, but not too many, really. I mean, it was relatively obscure. Now, but we were excited, and our, our parents were excited, and some of our friends were excited for us. Well, there are many reasons for being excited in regard to Jesus' birth, though frankly, it was relatively obscure. And I was to think first about some natural reasons and then some uh, scriptural reasons. Uh, the natural reason, the obvious thing that made this pretty exciting is that, that Jesus was Mary's firstborn, right? A firstborn creates excitement. Perhaps some of you remember when you were expecting or had your firstborn, whether you're the father or the mother, you remember that. You were excited. Mary experienced that and more. And, and also a natural reason for excitement, she's a virgin. For crying out loud, verse 18, before they came together. Verse 25, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. That's a pretty exciting thing, you know, I mean, really. But there are scriptural reasons for excitement too, right? We're told in this passage and in, in Luke 1 
uh, that that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit. Uh, okay. What does that mean? Where did this happen? Well, it happened in Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem was the place that Micah had said in chapter 5, verse 2, that, that the Messiah would be born. And it's a home birth. Well, a barn birth, but you get me. It wasn't in a hospital, right? It's a home birth. And, and, and that's kind of exciting, too, <laughs> at least from an old guy like me's perspective. You know, that's kind of, wow, okay. But there are promises about this baby. One of them's right here in verse 21. He will save his people from their sins. That should get you excited, right? Yeah. And then this name, Emmanuel, God with us. It's a quote from Isaiah 7. Now, in the, in the Bible, names often designate. I mean, my name, Alan, designates, right? It, who, who is that guy? Well, he's Alan. I designate him by using the name. But in the Bible, uh, names describe, too. They describe. And, and the word Jesus and the word Emmanuel both describe. Jesus means Joshua, Savior. He will save his people. And, and Emmanuel, which means God with us. By the way, Michael Card's got a very fine old song uh, entitled Emmanuel, God with us. I commend it to you about all of the things related to what we're talking about here. So there are natural reasons and scriptural reasons for excitement in regard to Jesus' birth. And, and as I've said, I think there's still a place for excitement today, and I want to focus on this God with us because if you understand what it means to have God with you, you'll get excited. It's just no more excitement than that. So the first thing I want to say about this is the child who was born was God. He is God at his birth. And I want to deny an old heresy called adoptionism and try to explain it briefly. This is not what we believe. Adoptionism is the teaching that that. God adopted Jesus as his son when he saw that he was a, a, a jolly good fellow, so to speak, that he was holy and he was pure and he was obedient. Um, you would uh, approximate that like this way, like this. So you're uh, at, at recess uh, at school. We used to have recess. I don't think they have that anymore. But when we had recess, we would go out and very quickly we would choose teams. And, and we would choose, who would you choose? Well, if you were choosing, you would choose the best players. And so the, the best players tended to be chosen first. And so suppose you're choosing somebody to be your son. And, and you say, there's the good one, I'll choose him. But that, that view is Jesus was not God when he was born. He developed well and God adopted him then and called him his son. And we deny that, adoptionism. It's, I'm not, teach, not saying anything about that God adopts believers into his family. That's, that's not what is on, on my plate here. But I'm denying the view that Jesus was adopted as the Son of God after his birth because he had developed well. I want to affirm what historic orthodoxy teaches, and that is this that Jesus was in his essential being at the time of his birth and his uh, incarnation, his conception in the womb, he was the Son of God. He was the second person in the Trinity from the earliest part of his existence on the earth. 
Silent Night says in stanza 3, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Not later, not adopted later, but Jesus, Lord at thy birth. And he was eternally begotten, not created. We use that language in the Nicene Creed. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Of the Father's love begotten, stanzas one, of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be. He is Alpha and Omega. He the source, the ending. He, we sang it this morning. So I think it's better to say at the time of his birth, his conception and birth, and I'm not distinguishing between those two, that he transitioned from heaven to earth. That he transitioned from not having a body to having a physical body. Oh, come all ye faithful, stanza two. God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created. And that's very mysterious. And obviously it's miraculous birth. This virgin birth is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a lot of people today, and there have been for centuries, that cannot tolerate this type of teaching. Uh, they do not like the miraculous, and they say the world in which we live will not accept miracle, and so what we have to do is extract miracle from the gospel stories. And that's around recently in what the so-called Jesus Seminar, thank God we don't hear as much about it as we did 10 or 20 years ago, but it was there. And the Jesus Seminar was largely bent on extracting the miraculous from the history of the life of Jesus Christ. It's not new. Uh, in 1799, Friedrich Schleiermacher published a book on religion, colon, speeches to its culture despisers. And in the Germany of that day, there were people that despised Christianity because it had miracle in it. And in this enlightened age, we cannot believe in miracle anymore. So what will we do to make the faith palatable to people out there? We'll just extract the miracles from the story. The problem with that, of course, is this, that you're left with a Jesus that's not worth believing in and not worth living for. He is God from the point of his birth, he is God in the flesh. The word incarnation, in flesh, is what it means. In substance, he is fully God and fully man. Hark the herald angels sing, stanza two. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Let all mortal flesh keep silence, stanza two. Lord of lords in human vesture, in the body and the blood. Lo, how a rose air blooming, true man, yet very God. And not that the Christmas carols are authoritative. The scriptures, of course, teach this, that he is God in the flesh. He said, I am God, I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. In him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So his Words say that he's God. His miracles showed that. The dead are raised, the lame walk, the blind see, the hungry are fed. Sinners are accepted and forgiven. This is mysterious, it's merciful, and it's magnificent. 
Let me draw out the mystery a little bit more, okay? God and man in the same person. If you can get a grip on that, you're way ahead of everybody else that's ever lived. (laughs) I've got a book in my library called The Logic of God Incarnate, written by a fellow I know. And he's trying to make rational sense of the fact that Jesus was God and man. And I wanted to write him and say, give it up. Live with the mystery for crying out loud. Give it up. You will not get a handle on this. He who made the universe nursed at Mary's breast. Mary kept her maker warm. You say, oh, I got that figured out. Have you really? No, you haven't really. You don't have that figured out. And all the while he's nursing her breast and she's keeping his warm. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says he upheld all things by the word of his power. It's very mysterious. But it's merciful. Being fully God, he could substitute for us in his life and death. Being Excuse me, being fully man, he could substitute for us in his life and death. Being fully man, he understands and he can comfort us. And it's magnificent too. Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 6, that he would be called Prince of Peace. And and that's why there's so much celebrating going on in early Matthew and early Luke. Um, You remember when uh, Prince George was uh, born to William and Kate, and there was a lot of, lot of, a celebration going on in England. Why? Because a prince had been born. He caused a great stir. How much more the birth of Jesus to a waiting and watching world. Yes. Does it excite you? Does it stir you? That God would become man, that he would become like us? You know, one of the real problems throughout the ages is that people... I say it's kind of like you're out hiking in the mountains and you're on a a sharp ridge. And on one side, you emphasize only his humanity. On the other side, you emphasize only his deity. And it's very hard to stay right on the top of a ridge as you walk. And so over the history, you find people that deny his humanity but say he's God. Or they deny his deity but say he's man. But the orthodox teaching is very clear that he's both God and man in one person forever. So the child that's born was God. Secondly, the child that was born was God with us. God with us. Now, why do I emphasize this point? Well, because some things don't mix very well. Oil and water, that's proverbial. Kings and commoners, they don't mix very well. I don't expect to ever get invited to lunch with the Queen of England, right? I'm a commoner. Actually, I'm not even a commoner, I guess, because I'm not, not from the UK. But creators and their creation don't mix very well either. Suppose um, I had, you know, 10,000 Lego parts, and I sat down and I made something out of all the Legos. And then I said, you know what I think I'll do now? I think I'll become a part of what I just made. And Walker would say, you're nuts, right? There's no way in the world you can become a part of what you've made. Well, I couldn't do that. But the creator became a part of his creation. 
When Jesus was born, God mixed with his creators and his with his creatures, rather, and his creation. The king of glory became a part of what he had made. The carol angels from the realms of glory in stanza two. God with man is now residing. Let me tease this out theologically for you, okay? So in the Garden of Eden, it was a good thing, a good place. And the goodness of the place is fundamentally that God and man were together, right? They're closely together. And there's a richness and a blessedness and an abundance in that togetherness. But they sinned. They were expelled from that garden. They were separated from God and separated from blessedness. Now, the goal God, I think, had at that point, and you can defend this theologically, but I won't take you all through the, the, the reasoning. The goal after that was redeeming some for heaven. But what's the big deal about heaven? What is the big deal about heaven? Is it pearly gates? Is it glass seas? Is it golden streets? What's the fundamental big thing about heaven? It is that God and man will be together again. That's the big thing. All the other stuff flows from the fact that God and man are together again. Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. As one man said, there's no greater blessing that can be conceived than for God to dwell with his people. And so God would encourage his people along the way. So when Moses was at the burning bush and he's kind of perplexed, why is this thing on fire but not burning up? And oh, you want me to go lead them out of that land? And, and God says in verse 12, I will be with you. Cool it, Moses. I'll be with you. It'll all happen because I'll be with you. When God is with us, there is blessing. Exodus 25, the tabernacle is pitched and there are three tribes to the north and three tribes to the south and three tribes to the east and three tribes to the west and in the middle is the tabernacle and what is the symbolism? It's pretty obvious. God is in the midst of his people. It was a foreshadowing of Revelation 21 when God and his people will be together again. Abraham in Genesis 15, I am your shield. Jacob in Genesis 28, I am with you. Joshua chapter 1, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Matthew 20, 28, make disciples of all the nations. Lo, I'm with you always. You won't be alone in this. It can happen. We sometimes say to other people, maybe we're writing a note, maybe we're saying goodbye to one another when we leave from uh, Men's Connect or Women's Connect or worship and somebody says to you, may God be with you. May God be with you. It's not just a religious phrase. It has deep, deep theological significance. 
Because it's say, if God is with you, you'll be okay. If God is with you, you'll be okay. Whether you get along in plenty or get along in want, you'll be okay if God is with you. For Jesus to come as Emmanuel and to promise to be with his people always and to send the Holy Spirit as the down payment guaranteeing the future promised blessings was the highest possible blessing. It's very, very good news. So the child is God. The child is God with us. And thirdly, the child was and is God with us as our God. Let me explain what I mean by that. There's a difference but connection between the phrase with us and for us. With us and for us. For us means kind of on our side. You can be with people and not be on their side, but, but if you're for people, you're on their side. Now, when, when we say that a person is with us, often we mean that they're also for us. So if you're a politician and, 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 and you might say something like, well, is the governor with us in this? Is the governor with us? Well, what does that mean? It means, well, is the governor for us? Is the governor behind this? Is the gov- governor going to act so as to make this uh, happen, use her power and authority to make it happen? And the point is that Jesus is not only with his people, he is for his people as their God. And I, and I draw this out because some people, some people get that, well, he's with me, yeah, but I, I don't, what's the difference, you know? Well, the difference is he's also for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. It's clear, no one. No one and nothing can be against you if God is for you. He is with them and us as the divine warrior. He fights for those whom he is with. I mean, he appears at the end of the book of Revelation, and I've mentioned this before, I mention it again. He appears at the end of the book of Revelation on a white horse with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He appears in the Exodus fighting for his people to deliver them from their bondage in Egypt. He appears to Joshua and partakes them into the promised land. They occupy it. God is a divine warrior. He's with His people. He's for His people. He's with us as our covenant God. The most basic covenant formula is, I will be your God. What does that mean? Well, in part it means I'll be your warrior. I'll be your defender. I'll be your provider. I'll be your protector. I will be your God. You will be my people. You will be obedient to me. You will follow me. You will love me. You will serve me. And you will have a blessed life because you do those things. He is with us to fulfill His covenant promises on our behalf to guarantee the blessing of God's people in God's place. And and I've said this, I want to say it again. What is the blessing of heaven? Well, it's to be with God. I mean, some things are so good, some people. I mean, if you'd said to me, my, my grandmother, I only had one grandparent I knew, Obviously had four, but I only knew one of them. All the others were deceased. And she lived on a farm about 45 minutes from uh, Mississippi State University where I went. And every now and then I would go down to see my grandmother. And, and you know, there are various reasons I might have gone to see my grandmother. I might have gone to see my grandmother to go deer hunting because there were deer on the property. Or I might have 
gone to see my grandmother because I could go fishing because there were a couple of ponds on the property. But you know the big deal of going to my grandmother's house? I was with my grandmother. That was enough. I was with my grandmother. I mean, yes, she fed me and she took care of me and she loved me, but, but I was with my grandmother. That's enough. It's enough for crying out loud. I, I think when we get to heaven, you know, some of these petty ideas we have of heaven are going to melt away. We're going to be with God. We're going to be with God. And, and it's going to be so much better than being with grandmother or being father or mother or whoever. It's just going to be so much more wonderful just to be with him. I think that's a part of what Adam and Eve knew in the garden and what the tragedy of their expulsion from the garden is they were separated from God. And now here is Emmanuel, God with us again for crying out loud, people. Get it. Get it. Get excited about it. This is the big deal. It's the big deal. If you think it's not the big deal, you don't get it. Maybe you're a stranger to grace. Maybe you don't know Jesus yet. I don't know. But this is what it's all about. You go to heaven and God's there and, he's, and you think, well, this isn't enough. You'd be in the wrong place. It's enough. He's enough. He's going to save them. Call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. But I, I searched the phrase for us in the New Testament. Christ died for us, Romans 5, and other places. Christ intercedes for us, Romans 8. Christ gave himself up for us, Ephesians 5. Christ laid down his life for us, 1 John 3. Christ became a curse for us, Galatians 3. Christ entered into the heavenly sanctuary for us, Hebrews 6. Christ appeared before God for us, Hebrews 9. Christ opened a new and living way for us, Hebrews 10. Someday, friends, he will come for us and take us to be with himself. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Theologically, he is with us, presence, power, peace. He is for us as prophet, priest, and king because we're united to him. So it's a fair question to ask, I think, is God with you? Are you with God by faith? Are you on the Lord's side? God wants you to be with Him. His quota is not yet met. His table is not yet full. The door is not yet shut. He is still coming. And He will welcome those who come to Him in repentance and faith. And so if you never have, will you now? Will you now? God with us is the most exciting thing about Christmas and about everything on into eternity future. Let's pray. Lord our God, um, help us to be excited about being in your presence, to be with you. Yes, there's great blessedness that flows from that. There's fellowship, there's food, there's protection. There's so much that flows from that. But the bedrock is that we're with you and you're with us. And help us to delight ourselves in that, Lord. And help us to, to overcome, in a sense, the mystery in that enough to believe it's possible that we can be with you. 
and that you want us to be with you and you want to be with us. Lord, I think of that amazing passage there at the end of the book of Revelation. It's not that we're going up to heaven, but it's your coming down. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Lord, that's amazing. And help us 